Hi, I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. On today's episode of the podcast, we sit down with iconic Hong Kong interior designer, architect and product designer Andre Fu at his new studio in Hong Kong. Thanks for joining us this afternoon, Andre. It's um, a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Happy to be supporting. Oh, thank you. So I wanted to talk to you about a couple of things, actually, but maybe going back to maybe the beginning of... or the beginning of Andre Fu, I suppose, of your at your <laughs> education. So you grew up in Hong Kong, and it's no secret that you studied in the UK, yep. at Cambridge. Um, and it seems like you travelled a bit um, throughout your younger years. And you've talked a bit about how that's affected your work. You know, there's mm-hmm. always that very sometimes cliched reference to East meets West. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's somewhat the subject of your latest book. I'm just wondering whether that experience of you kind of slipping in and out of different cultures and languages and uh, urban environments has really allowed you to wear different design hats and whether you think that's actually helped understand different hotel brands. I mean, obviously you've worked with such a variety of brands now. Do you think that that experience and uh, what you went through educationally has, has helped with that process? Well, I guess this is a very big question. Um, When I first started uh, to be very interested in, you know, just the general notion of design, it's probably, uh, well, as to draw, um, I've talked about it as as a child um, in my primary school in Hong Kong, I love drawing mazes and and draw them for other fellow um, kind of, yeah, pupils in the in the in, in the class to kind of work themselves out of the way uh, out, out of the maze that I've drawn so that was pretty much like my first encounter of design and and then probably back in the days um, hotels was for Asian cities it's such a kind of aspirational thing like it's a completely different level of interior of design. I mean, back in the days, it was the times when, you know, Regent was the, you know, the big hotel in Hong Kong. Um, some of you might know that my family, um, my bigger family um, used to be in the hotel business as well. So I guess hotel has always been an integral part of my life. Uh, then I went to England uh, for education and traveled around in Europe quite a bit. So I wouldn't say that I, I'm an expert in um, European cultures by any means, uh, but perhaps my education in Cambridge, especially being uh, you know, very, very, uh, they place quite a strong focus on um, theories of architecture. Um, so everything from Baroque architecture to postmodern architecture. And I guess all of that kind of knowledge about the past 
has cultivated my appreciation of things that are quite diverse and um, and then returning back to Hong Kong. Uh, in fact, no one, I, I don't think many people knows that. Uh, before I started um, setting up my studio in Hong Kong, I actually did quite a few projects in Shanghai back in 2003. Uh, that was pretty much the time when Xin Tiandi in Shanghai first started. It's like the kind of, you know, the, the, the birth of the new Shanghai in a way. Um, shortly followed by my project with Jiao Group in Shanghai as well. Um, so I had a kind of brief encounter of projects in China before I came back to Hong Kong. Um, all of that has allowed me to have a taste of different cultures, different um, lifestyle experiences, and experience different lifestyles on a, on a kind of first-hand basis not through social media, because that didn't exist at the time. Uh, so that became like my DNA in a way. I never tried to analyze it. I never tried to think too hard about it. Um, and that I just go to a place, work with a new brand or an existing brand or classic brand, uh, whatever it is, and just kind of immerse in the context of the project and kind of give it a kind of my best try to create a unique story for it. So it's it's no secret but probably not as widely known that uh, <clears throat> you also spent some time working for John Pawson mm -hmm. after studying uh, and I'm I'm really curious to know, you know, what you learnt during that time while working with him um, because it's, you know, I don't think it would be fair to say that your style mimics what he does. Mm -hmm. You've clearly um, matured, you know, as a person but also as a designer as, as anyone would do. Um, but I'm just wondering, you know, they would have been very formative years for you, very influential years. You know, what did you come away from that experience with? I worked with John uh, when I was doing my year out, so in between my undergrad and um, masters at Cambridge. And John has taught me a lot, uh, I think mostly with uh, the idea of sketching. I was actually drawing a lot of sketches um, at John's place at the time, so it really trained the way I, I draw freeline sketches, uh, which is something that I still do um, very frequently these days. I think the second thing that I've learned a lot is, um, is the success of every project. It's not just um, down to a single entity. It's a collaborative um, effort. And um, John really worked with some of you know, the best people in the industry. Um, that was how I met Arnold Chan from Isometrics, uh, one of the you know, most brilliant lighting designer. Um, at the time, I also met with people um, in, the, uh, in the furniture business, um, in the kitchen business, in the material business, and just to have that level of exposure uh, to kind of what it takes to create something of a very high level. Uh, so that was a true eye-opener. And I guess ever since 
I realized that um, design is not just about having a creative idea. It's about the execution and it's about having a collective uh, group of people that shared a same, similar vision and, and drive to achieve something uh, that is unique. So, you know, I think many people would still know you and I guess from the Upper House Hotel, which was kind of, I guess, your, your big break, I, mm -hmm. I suppose, so to speak, uh, even though you've gone on to design many hotels since then. So I think that's probably the first project that comes to mind for many people. They associate you with that. But, and that's a, a relatively small-sized hotel uh, in comparison, but St Regis here in Hong Kong, Kerry Hotel here in Hong Kong, almost sitting opposite each other on the harbour. Uh, far larger in scale, but I think there's something that you're, there's many things that you're very skilled at, but I think one of them is making these large spaces feel very intimate. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if there is something that you can share with us about how you go about doing that. Is there one single thing that you start by doing or is it, is it a you know, multitude of, of little things that you have to do to make a very large cavernous space feel quite intimate? Well, many of my projects, uh, I talk a lot about the word relaxed luxury. I talk a lot about the word uh, residential calmness. Uh, but a lot of the times when I look at a project, I typically imagine myself as the end user walking through it. And I always think of especially the larger projects, as a journey and how it unfolds. Um, just like watching a film, um, it unfolds layer by layer, um, how you build up to a moment that would potentially become you know, the most memorable design moment in the hotel. And talking of that idea in the context of the upper house. I still remembered I first walked into the ho that, that building, uh, which was 20 years old at the time. Um, I think I probably walked in in 2006. Uh, it was a service apartment designed back in the 80s. It was pink and green. It's very fashionable now, but... <laughs> But um, when imagine. I first walked in, um, it was with tropical plants. It was with a lot of tapestry. It was very dark. Uh, it was very peculiar, actually, as a space. But I guess the, the, the uniqueness or the, the, in a way, the awkwardness of the space, the, the, the long escalator going up um, to a transient floor and then taking the escalator up to the rooms, with a gigantic atrium, which is something very 80s in a way. All of that actually prompt a lot of provocative solutions to the project. And by carving it into smaller pockets of spaces, it also allowed me to express kind of very um, emotional type of a um, experience and I guess that was something that created uh, what is now known as the upper house it's it's uh, it's more response to the to the site 
but even now, when I'm dealing with much bigger projects, um, it's some, still something that I am keen to establish. It's a contrast between very theatrical, very dramatic pockets of spaces versus spaces for people to be in. So it's very intimate spaces where people can feel nazzled. And I think that's ultimately what people are looking for when they're in a hospitality space. Mm, that's really interesting. So that actually is a very nice segue to my next question, which is, I guess, um, the next few questions are a bit more about what you're looking for. Um, and, th and that my next question is, so yeah, what are you looking for in a hotel experience? And what are you looking for when you're traveling? What do you hope to gain by that experience? Is there a, a particular look or a type of hotel or type of location that you're particularly drawn to? Well. These days, with with the uh, with the way social media has been changing, um, the way we see design, and I'm I'm no exception. Uh, I guess I can experience it um, kind of through the phone or through social media. And prior to the um, <coughs> to the COVID, I had the uh, I had a lot of opportunities to experience. Uh, hotels and some really aspirational properties firsthand. Uh, what is what is interesting to me is the hotel that really kind of triggered my interest in in design um, is the Park Hyatt Tokyo uh, by John Morfitt. And I remember walking into it when I was in university, and I was like so amazed and so blown away with it. And I remember last year, I probably went back to the hotel again, and I had the opportunity to stay in the Tokyo suite, uh, which is one of the top suites in the hotel. And it's just so timeless and so powerful, and yet so pure. And it's just kind of one of the most amazing properties that, that really uh, embrace what the modern hotel should be. That said, the market has also evolved and people are looking for different points of views. And I guess in my work, uh, I guess every time I hope to express something that is unique to the context, I think I started with that note at the beginning of our conversation. Mm -hmm. But that's very much the case. And that's why I have chosen to work with brands that I guess a lot of people might not think is a natural fit for myself, such as the St. Regis, such as the Wardoff, two very classic historical New York brands. Um, but that's, that's, I hope that also demonstrates how I wish to challenge myself and just kind of hopefully surprise people even though a lot of people will still go in and say this is very Andre or this is Andre for space. Um, but I guess subconsciously I have uh, a quite a conscious uh, effort. I'm trying to make a quite a con conscious effort to differentiate myself. Mm. I'm very curious to hear uh, about your favorite destinations around the world and perhaps you know, once we're all able to travel again, what is at the top of your bucket list right now? Is there somewhere you haven't been that you're desperate to get to once we're all able to fly again? Well, I'm really keen to go to Sao Paulo um, or just that whole area. I always want to see Oscar Niyama's work firsthand. So that's definitely top of my list. 
but a closer destination would probably be Kyoto. Uh, I've always loved the city. I've, I can walk into a mosque garden every single day and still get completely <laughs> kind of overwhelmed with, with the beauty and the simplicity of it. So Kyoto is definitely top of my list. And where would you stay in those two places? I imagine you've already done some research. Well, Kyoto, I guess the, the recently opened Park Hyatt by Tony is, is, a, is a brilliant uh, masterpiece. Um, it's set in a garden and very, very beautifully executed. Um, hopefully, um, the project that I'm working on in Kyoto mm. uh, caught a hotel, the Mitsui, will also unveil later this year. So possibly another place that I could stay in. and That might have to be on my bucket list too. Be very critical of my own work <laughs> <laughs> whilst I sleep. Have you got any other favourite hotels around the world that you um, go back to time and time again? I mean, you're in London yes. and I imagine New York somewhat, somewhat frequently. Are there places there or do you like well, to stay in, somewhere um, new? In Sorrento, um, there's a hotel called Paco di Principi. Uh, it's by uh, Gioponti, and I just love that property. I mean, it's to be honest, it can be, it could have been operated better um, these days. But when you walk in, you really feel the spirit of how a designer can create a vision. Um, all those blue and white tiles, the the metal railings, the the mosaic tiles on the walls. And the furniture, I think it's such a cohesive design experience. I find that really mesmerizing. And it also represents a period of time that I am always in love with, this whole kind of mid-century um, cinematic kind of a space. So, yes. Well, that's uh, that's a really good segue to my next question. I think as a as a hotel designer, someone who specialises in that field, um, I I'd, I would love to be a fly on the wall when you walk into another hotel room and and see how you behave. Do you have a list a list of pet peeves, things that you hate about hotel rooms? Have you you know got a little list of things that drive you crazy, or are you somewhat flexible when you're staying in another hotel that you haven't designed? I'm always very, um, okay, what really bothers me in hotels is when there's a lot of printed paper um, kind of dispersed through the entire room. So typically the first thing I go in is I just kind of clear up all these paper, um, especially by the bedside table. And it's an interesting thing because recently with a project, I've kind of walked into a mock-up room and I just keep on looking at the operating team and say, why do you have to put in so much paper? We created all these worktop spaces for people to use. And at the end, you're cluttering it with all these papers and notepads and stuff. So kind of reshuffle them to make sure that they're not in the way of the guest and kind of give the space back to the customer. So I think that's definitely top of my list. Anything else? Are you one of those people that travels with candles? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Any I try to keep it simple. Okay. No other little personalization tips that you have? 
Um, what about cushions on a bed? Are you a lover of cushions or did you get rid of those as I well? get rid of those. <laughs> I try <laughs> I to get rid that. of all the bolsters <laughs> and cushions right away. Okay, I thought you might say that. <laughs> oh, there's another one. I hate it when the operator um, slip the or fold the duvet into the mattress because it's so much effort to lift it out. Um, and and because by that time you're very tired, you're exhausted from the day, so you just want to go into the bed and sleep and have the liberty to maneuver the duvet freely. <laughs> so this is sounding very Seinfeld, but yeah, I'm completely with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now, I have uh, run into you at the airport here in Hong Kong a number of times and, you know, been hearing about your crazy schedule and itinerary. Uh, how do you deal with jet lag? Do you have any tips? Because I know you've flown in and out of, you know, f from very long haul flights to London and stayed for, you know, maybe less than 48 hours before coming back again. Are you there not long enough to get jet lag or um, are you just I try to adjust, people? actually, every time I travel. So I usually change my, um, the setting of my phone before I go on the flight so that I'm kind of psychologically semi-adjusted um, to the next destination. Mm. Um, no, there's no real magic. Mm. Sometimes rely on a bit of medication, but um, that's that. Yeah, okay. Um, so none of us really has a crystal ball, but I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about how travel experience and perhaps hotel design may change in the future. Obviously, we're in the middle of this current pandemic, COVID-19 situation. But even that aside, you know, the, the younger generation are doing things differently. They're even booking travel differently. Uh, and I imagine there is an expectation on someone like you in, in your industry to, to stay you know, ahead of the curve, I suppose, mm -hmm. in some ways. So do you have any insights for us as to how you think travel might be different in the near or distant future? Well, I guess... I guess when it comes to creating hotels, if we're talking more specifically to hotel experiences, um, it could, I've been talking about it all the time. Um, it's, it's still the essence of the experience. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the sense of comfort, whether you're comfortable in a space. And what has taught me a lot recently is, uh, is the fact that there's a property that we did in Hong Kong called Artists um, for the K11 brand. It was originally designed more for long-term staying guests uh, with a huge balcony um, overlooking the harbor and all the facilities that's needed um, for a long-staying guest. So pantry, uh, storage areas and all that. And I realized that now with, with the, the notion of staycation um, being kind of quite a popular thing to do, Having that kind of residential feeling to an environment actually uh, make people feel much more um, at ease. So perhaps when hotels becomes less, 
when it's less about formality and much more about comfort, I think that would definitely be the way to go. Um, I mean, subsequently, there is also, as a designer, the, the, the conscious effort to work in the, in the realms of sustainability and just seek materials that are friendly to the environment. Mm. So we've, as we've already alluded to, before this situation uh, arised, uh, you were travelling quite a bit. I'm curious to know how you're dealing with not travelling at the moment. Are you enjoying staying put f for the moment or are you getting a little bit of cabin fever? Actually, back in February and March, I actually loved it because I've been so tired from just generally kind of traveling um, back and forth that I actually found it an amazing time when I can actually sit in front of my desk and just draw. I haven't had the privilege to do it um, for the past 15 years probably. I mean, I still draw, but not kind of consistently over a week without having to stop or worrying about um, when the next meeting is, for example. Uh, at this moment, maybe I've spent too much time in the studio. We've been operating, um, we've just had a few days of home officing, so we've been um, operating, I guess, normally in the studio uh, for the past three months. Um, and I'm trying to stay a little bit away from my team because I'm kind of all over them at the moment. And, uh, <laughs> they wish you were probably driving again. them nuts. So, uh, I'm sure that's not what they're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's really interesting. So my last question to you would be, if you have any words of advice for any young aspiring designers that wish to, you know, try and emulate your career path, specialising in high-end hotels, luxury, hospitality projects, uh, aside from obviously the traditional educational uh, paths that one can take, is there any other advice that you would give to these young designers? It's hard to give adv advices because everybody has their own approach to things. I guess what I would highly suggest is, I always talk about um, persistency in, in, uh, in creating hospitality spaces. I've interviewed a lot of people that wishes to join my studio and, and for those candidates that I feel are suitable, I always ask them, do you realize how long it takes to create a hotel? And some of them are shocked uh, when I say it takes five to eight years to create a hotel. And because it's so easy now, you go into social media, you search something, you know, you tag kitchen, it will give you two million images of kitchen, and then you can pick your five best, you know, most preferred images and call it a design. And that's the way people design these days. But when a project is going to be realized in five years or six years, how can you predict trends? How can you forecast uh, whether you design, what you design at the moment will be relevant in five years' time? And obviously, nobody can. So it's to stay truthful to the original vision, 
to really believe in what you're trying to achieve and kind of push it through those five years. And in my case, I could be running 25 projects at the time and just having a clear mind for each project and to ensure that they don't get, you know, I, I, my role is not to, is to guide everybody through the process of being truthful to that vision. And I think that's the hardest part of my career. So persistency and being truthful to the original vision. I think that's great advice. I think we have maybe a plug for a book. Do you want to talk about the new book that's coming out just quickly before we wrap up? Sure. I mean... And anything else new that you want to talk about? Well, there are a couple of exciting things. Uh, We have just launched our new collection under Andre for Living, a lifestyle brand that I've launched last year. Um, So the new collection is all about mid-century rhythm. I think in my first collection, it was a, there, there was a lot of linearity and it's a lot of questioning about what my personal taste is rather than responding to a client's brief to a hotel context. When it comes to a personal project such as my own brand, how I would tell a genuine Andre Fu story. Um, but after the collection, uh, the first collection, the second series became much more challenging. It's about how the brand could evolve, how it could express something different. Um, And in this particular series, I've actually started to work with cast bronze. We've done some objects in cast bronze um, for decoration. And the process has really taught me a lot about materiality. And I, I find that really intriguing. Um, the other thing that I we have done is I've done a LED light inspired by the by the modernist um, glass bricks and translating it into a portable LED light. So even though many people have experienced things that I've designed and they think that it's kind of like a natural progression for me to go into products or lifestyle experiences. But with products such as an LED light, with products such as a Casbron object, even with porcelain tableware, it's a very, very different context. And I guess that was exactly the reason why I wanted to do the brand. It was kind of perhaps challenge myself a little bit more um, with with a more diverse um, platform. So hopefully it will be kind of a, a pleasant surprise uh, to those that admire my work and perhaps uh, exposing it to people that might not have, might not have um, known me previously and, and have a chance to interact with it. Um, during their times at home. For the book, uh, we have worked with Tamsin Hudson, a UK publisher, uh, a publisher that I've long admired because they have such an insight and in some ways a more academic approach to publications and publishing. Um, This time I've worked with Catherine Shaw, um, also a contributor uh, for your 
for Design Anthology and a great friend of mine. I've known her for over 10 years. And I think what's interesting this time is uh, we kind of looked at about 15 projects. And rather than looking at them separately, we try to establish a linkage between the projects and hopefully try to create some links uh, between those projects that are perhaps a little bit more classic looking and those projects that are a bit more purer and minimalistic looking and try to navigate uh, a narrative that really explains what I have or what I'm trying to do career-wise. Uh, we called it Crossing Cultures with Design and I guess it's kind of coming back to your first question, it's very much about how with my upbringing, with the exposure that I have, how I navigate in different contexts, how I navigate with different brands and come up with solutions that I'm comfortable with and I hope that they will engage customers with. And I guess the 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 vision behind the book is just that. And it's been an amazing process with the book because it also allows myself to reflect on my career, um, especially with projects that I've achieved in the past 10 years. Um, and there are also great quotes from some people that I have admired tremendously. Uh, we had a foreword by Patty McKillen, um, the hotelier that I've collaborated in numerously with um, with uh, his Chateau Lacoste in Provence and all the Maybon hotels in London. Um, there's also words from my great friend Adrian Chang and Yan Wong of Jar Group. And the last word um, was by Joyce Ma, um, the iconic um, fashion leader um, that rarely does it for anybody, but um, I really, really appreciate the fact that she's done it for me. That's amazing. She, yeah, is quite um, a recognised name here in Hong Kong, uh, literally on storefronts. That's, mm -hmm. that's been her contribution. Well, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much, Andre. I mean, we're all looking forward to seeing the book when that's sort of officially launched and is out there and obviously the new product collections, which would have been in Milan this year, but are now through Lane Crawford here in Hong Kong. Yes, and, and First Steps and Modar Parani. Right. So lots to look forward to. And, yeah, thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Susie.